DJing is my passion, and for the last 27 years, I've been playing clubs, festivals, and corporate events. I produce songs for artists, organized events, hosted radio and TV shows, and I've been the tour DJ for platinum selling artists for more than 21 years. I'm taking everything I've learned and I'm sharing it to help you become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. Welcome to the Share the Knowledge Podcast, Season 3, Episode 2. I'm your host, DJ TLM. Let me start by sending a shout out to you. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the SDK fam. And if you're a day one follower of the podcast, welcome back and thanks for the support. This podcast is all about helping you become a better DJ, and I'm here to answer your questions. So if you want to ask a question for a future episode, please send your email to sdk at djtlm.com. Now, that used to be share the knowledge at djtlm.com. That still works, but sdk is just easier to remember. If you're looking for DJ tutorials, product reviews, video clips from the podcast, and other educational DJ content, tune in to DJTLM TV on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and activate the notifications so you don't miss out on any of my new content. As always, feel free to share this episode and any of my other content anywhere. And if you have the option, please rate this podcast and leave a comment. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. Okay, so we're going to start episode two talking about something we talked about last week, and that is the pandemic. Yes, I have to start there. This is still affecting all of us. Now, I know it's going to be different for everyone in every part of the world. Over here in the Netherlands, we are currently on a lockdown, and we're supposed to be on lockdown for at least another week. But I believe that they're about to announce that they will extend that by two weeks. So most likely, we'll be on lockdown for the entire month of January. That is what it is. It also means that we're currently homeschooling because the holidays are over. Normally, the kids will be in school now, and that's not happening. So we had to adjust our schedules. And like I talked about last week, I'm currently really working with a totally new approach. I've planned out my entire day when it comes to everything from health to family to production and content release. Now, the good thing about that is I already know on paper what I need to do, and it makes it a little bit easier for me to now adjust that. So, yes, there's a couple of times that I would have been in the studio. I'll have to postpone that to different days or different times of the day because at during the daytime, I might be at home doing the homeschooling thing. So that means I might have to go to the studio later in the day or in the evening to make that happen. But We'll work around that. It is what it is. Safety first. So I'm all for it. We have to get these infections down. Our ICUs are filled. The hospitals are full. People who need other types of operations can't even get those operations now because there's no doctors for that. So we have to make sure we get this down. It's going to be a while before the vaccinations really roll out. So until that time, we'll be doing it this way. And, uh, it's all good for me. I'll, 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 we'll make it work no matter what. Um, that's basically it. Um, no need to talk about this longer now. Uh, I want to talk about some DJ questions. STK all day, baby. Share the knowledge. Let's go. So this question is all about audio and audio quality. And I have some more things I want to say about this topic, but I'm going to start with this question. And this question is about playing out and having songs that sound really different and how some songs will work better 
than other songs when you're playing like large festivals, you name it. So here's the question. I want to use music from many different genres and eras in my mixes. From my limited experience as a DJ, I've noticed some tracks sound awesome on a large sound system, while others, often older productions, sound empty and lacking energy. I think this has to do with the way the songs are produced and mastered. The low end has to be solid enough to hold its own. I've tried to manage this with the EQ on the mixer, but I've found that boosting the lows also includes the low mids, often only making it sound more muddy. Plus, you can only boost frequencies that are in the mix. To make a long story short, my question is, how do you know if a song will sound great on a large system? And how can you make older songs sound equally big as modern productions when mixing between the two? So that's a great question. And it automatically takes me back to the days when I was still playing with vinyl. This was right before I made the transition to playing with DVS. So I wasn't digital yet, but especially here in the Netherlands, a lot of DJs had made the move from vinyl to CDJs. So what would happen is I would end up on stages with DJs who were all using CDJs and they had like that crisp, digital sounding, loud sound. And then I would come in with my vinyl and it would just sound totally different. I did not have that same crispy sound. I did not have the same type of volume. And when I did crank my volume, you would introduce like feedback. So that was not a case of certain songs not working. That was just a case of the equipment I was using like vinyl and turntables was just too different from all of those CD sets. Now, since I'm playing with DVS now, that problem is gone. So there's no difference there anymore. And in certain situations, you did have like a good sound stage and everything would sound okay. But as soon as you had like a stage that was a little bit hollow, the feedback would come in and yeah, a lot of horror stories there. Now, that's a little bit different, of course, than your exact question. And I know exactly what you mean. Songs will sound different. Older songs tend to have a different sound. And that has to do, of course, with the mixing and mastering. Over the years, the way songs were mixed and mastered is really different. Now, you can tell if you take songs that are a little bit older, a lot of times when it comes to the dynamics, they're actually better meaning that they have a big difference between the the softest and the loudest sounds. And there's like uh, 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 just a wide dynamic there. And at a certain point, songs, when they were mixed and especially mastered, they were starting to compress songs really, 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 really far and limit them with like brick wall limiters, really cranking up every part of the song to make everything sound as loud as possible. And you can see that if you take a look at, if you have digital files of an old song and a new song, and you take a look at the WAV files, the old songs most likely will have just a WAV file that gives you like highs and lows and softer points and louder points. And you see some of these modern files and basically all you see is one block where everything is peaked to the top 
where the limiter says, all right, to here and no further. And that also introduced something called the loudness wars, where actually engineers were trying to get the sound just to be as loud as possible. Now, there's a longer story in history behind that, one that I'm not totally familiar with, so I'm not gonna pretend I am, but there is just a major difference. And we as DJs could actually hear it at a certain point when we were starting to get new music that the sound was different. The sound was definitely louder and it lacked the dynamic of certain older songs because the older songs, if you were playing them on a great system that would allow you to crank the volume, then it would still sound beautiful compared to that compressed sound that if you turn it up too much, it would just become like a monstrosity of sound. But if you're playing songs from different eras, you're gonna run into that problem of the sonics being so different. And I continue to call it like the newer sounds like crispy. That's not the correct term, but the older songs have a, um, just they, they lack that certain energy you're talking about to a certain degree. And indeed on a mixer, on a DJ mixer, you have your EQ section, which allows you to manipulate the frequencies, but it's not gonna be exact enough to highlight the frequencies you want to. Like you said, if you, if you boost the lows on a DJ mixer, it's gonna bring up that entire low end. Uh, some mixers might actually have like a high, uh, a high mid, low mid, and a low that gives you a little bit more playing room. But especially if you have a mixer that has like low, mid, and high, then that low is gonna bring up the low end and also the low mids. And yes, it will just sound like a muddy, uh, a, a muddy mess. So it's difficult. Now, I will play most songs and I'll do my best on the EQ on that DJ mixer. So if I can tell like, okay, this song really lacks in like the, the mids, the high mids and the highs, I'll just introduce more high and mid. It's not going to sound perfect, but it's going to at least give it a chance compared to some of the modern songs that I was playing next to it that just have more mid and high in there. So that is something the, that's the least I can do. Actually, no, that's the most I can do while I'm DJing because I can't like remix a record on the spot. If you have songs in your collection and you're not DJing, you're at home and you're going through your songs. If you have certain songs in there that actually just lack certain frequencies or you can just tell like, okay, this song needs a bit more high mids, whatever. You could just take some editing software and play with EQ on your computer and mix that song a little bit. So add some frequencies that are missing in the software. So just have your own version. You basically introduce a little bit, you boost certain frequencies uh, because you said something like you can't boost something that's not in there. Well, basically all frequencies are gonna be in there and in software, you are able to boost that. But in software, you're able to be more specific compared to a DJ mixer. So you could basically restore, it's not really restoring, but you could, add something to certain songs if you feel they lack some of that, uh, the frequencies you're looking for. Now, it's not gonna sound exactly the same as some of the newer songs, it's just not. It's recorded differently, it's mixed differently. You're not gonna turn it into the same type of song as a modern song. 
that's not going to happen. But you can at least make sure that if you have a song and it just sounds like it wouldn't be ready for a big stage, you could do some of that at home and edit it. I mean, you sound like you have an idea how music works and how mixing works. So get some DJ software and do that. So, but to be specific, because you asked how I can tell which songs um, uh, uh, I would play. So how can you make older songs? No, the question was, how do you know if a song will sound great on a large system? I mean, if you listen to your audio on headphones or at home through speakers, you're going to hear the difference in audio. And if the song sounds clean, you can hear the frequencies, you hear the bass, you hear the mids, you hear the highs, everything is in there. That will translate to a big system as well. If you play it at home, if the sound doesn't have what it needs to have, then it's probably going to sound like that at home. I, I hear it all the time when I'm doing uh, my live streams, when I'm mixing some of the older songs, either they lack the volume. Now, of course, we can fix that, just boost that. But I can also tell like, okay, this just has a different sound. I don't hear the same type of uh, energy in, in, in the high mids and the highs. On the DJ mixer, I can adjust that a little bit, but if I really have a song in there and it bothers me the way it sounds, or I wanna have it prepared for some large sound system, I could pull it into the computer and make sure I adjust it. So I'll adjust the volume a little bit. So I might just pull it through a limiter, just boost everything a little bit, and maybe also work the EQ a little bit in some DJ software. So you can hear at home if a track is good enough. I don't need some specific skill to hear that. Uh, and if it needs to, I can edit it at home. This is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. All right, so I'm gonna stick to this topic for a minute, audio quality. And this is about a question I received during the last SDK Live. And this was about converting your vinyl to digital. And I just want to go through that again for the podcast, for people tuning in now. It kind of also relates to the last question about just the audio quality of tracks. And this is very important when it comes to doing any type of conversion. So that could be from, uh, in this case, vinyl to digital or uh, uh, from some type of other medium to digital. It all depends on every part of the process how good your audio quality is going to be. So starting off with the music, if you're going from vinyl and your vinyl is crappy, so it's full of scratches, it's a little bit warped, your audio quality automatically goes down a bit. You're not going to get a great recording. I have some vinyl rips and I was playing them and I just heard them again. I was like, yeah, this doesn't really add anything. It just doesn't sound good. So it was recorded from vinyl, but it sounded terrible. So in that case, it's not really helping me out. So the audio quality of the track has to be good. Same thing with the last question. If you're going to play on a large sound system and you have a track and either because it's old or because it's a bad file, if it doesn't sound good, that's going to affect the quality. And if your source or your file start uh, sounds bad, I mean, you're gonna only be able to help it a little bit with some EQ, but it's not gonna become great. In the case of conversion, the same thing. So if the vinyl is good, then the next step is your needle because the needle is gonna translate that sound through the turntable to your mixer. Now, turntable technicians will tell you that's not 
technically correct, but you know what I'm talking about. It's the needle is what connects to the vinyl. So if you have a great piece of vinyl and you use a crappy needle, could be bad quality or just an old worn down needle. If the needle's not good, your good file is gonna go down in quality already. So that needs to be a good needle. Then you're gonna have that continued good quality. The next step is your mixer because the turntable is connected to your mixer and the mixer has to be of a certain quality as well because if you have a crappy mixer that has bad converters, it just does not have good audio, it's gonna send bad audio to your computer. So you have a good file, good needle, bad mixer, quality goes down. That has to be good as well. Now, look, it doesn't have to be some crazy $5,000 mixer to be okay, to be good enough, but it can't be something that just does not have good audio quality. So the cheapest mixer, if it's your only option, it's your only option, I get it. But if there's an option to get or borrow someone's better mixer, that is a plus, especially because you're gonna do that conversion only once. You're only gonna take it from vinyl to digital once. So if you can get someone's mixer and borrow that for a weekend, go all out, convert all that vinyl, I would do that instead of using your own mixer if you have a mixer that just isn't that good. So good vinyl, good needle, good mixer. Then you gotta go to your computer and to connect to your computer, you're gonna use an audio interface, same story here. If you have a terrible audio interface that just does not have good audio quality, all the steps before that were good, but now that audio interface brings it down. So again, you wanna have an audio interface that is at least good or great. Great news is good audio interfaces don't cost a lot. Like the quote unquote budget type audio interfaces that you see a lot actually produce pretty good quality, good enough to record your vinyl in good quality. So all of the little steps matter. So just to go back to that last question one more time, if the audio file is bad, you can do what you can do, but it's better to take that file at home and do with it what you can in some editing software to boost just some of the frequencies, some of the volume, so you don't have to try to save it with your DJ mixer because the DJ mixer can't do the same thing as your actual audio software can do. And even if you can increase the quality of some of your quote unquote bad files at home, then you have a better starting point. You want that starting point to be as high as possible because every little step after that can either keep that quality on the same level or bring it down a bit. You can't really increase the quality. It's not like terrible vinyl is gonna sound amazing when you pull it through a great mixer. It's not gonna do that much for it. Um, so yeah, that's basically it when it comes to converting vinyl. And again, like I said in the live as well, um, there's also other options. You have turntables that are USB turntables that will connect directly to your uh, computer. I just don't have experience with those, but you do eliminate a lot of the steps because you're going straight from the turntable into your computer. So you're skipping the step of going through a mixer and then into an audio interface. You're going straight from the turntable into the computer. I just don't know how good the quality of the conversion within that turntable is turning it to digital and sending it to your computer. I don't know. 
Uh, so if anyone has experience with that, please leave it in the comment section down below. Now, when it comes to recording, what software do you use to record your vinyl? Most software will work just fine. So if you have a DAW and all your computer, digital audio workstation, like a Logic or Cubase, you name it, that has the option to record. You can just set a track, use your audio interface as the input, channel one and two, and then uh, uh, record it. If you don't have anything like that, you can download Audition for free. I don't know if it's also for Windows, though. I think that's Mac only. Uh, so I, I can't say for sure, but there are free options as well that will allow you to record. In my case, I'll use either Audition. I used to use Cubase and I have Studio One as well. Um, Audition is right there. Most of the times so I'll just jump straight to that. Even though I don't convert a lot of vinyl, that is something that is on my to-do list because I have a lot of vinyl that still needs to be converted. STK all day, baby. Share the knowledge. Let's go. All right, so the next question is an age-related question. It's not totally about age, but there's something about that in there. So let's just start with that question. I'm in my mid-late 40s, and I've been a DJ since I was 19. I stopped DJing in the early 2000s, but stayed consistent, learning about music and DJ tech. I'm at the point in my age slash life that I want to compete in something like Red Bull freestyle competitions and play festivals, but I'm still feeling like my age and technical skill is a factor. I would like to hear your thoughts. Well, I would say age does not have to be a factor. It is more about the skill, technical skill, especially if we're talking about Red Bull freestyle. Uh, now, I'm not gonna lie and say age is not an issue at all because it all depends on how deep you want to dive into DJ life because you say you also want to play like festivals because here's the thing. And I tell this to people all the time. If they want to start DJing at like a later age in life, you can do that. But if you want to totally adapt to the DJ life, uh, that feels a little bit rougher when you get a little bit older. What I mean by that is going out to play multiple nights a week coming home early in the morning, uh, not sleeping, all of that stuff, it affects you differently in your 20s compared to your 30s, compared to your 40s. So that is something that not everyone is gonna be able to deal with, especially if they haven't done it before. So if you just imagine if you've lived your life in a normal fashion where you just go to bed every night at whatever, 10, 11, whatever, even 12, and you wake up at seven. If you now all of a sudden have gigs where you play and you come home at five or six in the morning and next day you're not even able to sleep in because maybe you also have a family life or stuff like that, or you have to work again during the week, that can be rough. Again, it's not rough when you're 17. It's not even that rough when you're 27. When you're 37 or 47, it feels different that being said that's only if you want to dive deep into it if you want to dj anyone can start djing at any time meaning just play music at home learn the skills have fun if you want to go out and also play you can do that until 
well, I mean, basically any age as well, especially if you're not going to do it too often. I wouldn't suggest that you're 70 and that you become a tour DJ and you travel all around the world and DJ because even though it sounds and looks glamorous, it's pretty rough. If you talk to DJs who are out of the house like 200 days a year on the road, it isn't as glamorous as advertised. That's all I can say. Um, but bringing it back to what you said, you want to compete in something like Red Bull 3 style. Um, the technical skill uh, plays a very important part. Now, of course, Rebel 3 style is all about rocking a crowd, using a, a minimum of three genres, but also combining it with an incredible amount of turntablism, controllerism, uh, uh, drumming, tone play, uh, you name it, wordplay. There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, but it is definitely possible. Like you've DJed. And you started when you were 19 and you stopped early 2000s. So you definitely had some years of DJing. So it's not like you're starting now and you have to learn how to DJ. So I don't know how far you are now. That's an important thing. So if you're in your mid late forties and when you were DJing before your skill level was average where you could basically only mix some songs then jumping to Red Bull 3 style is a very large leap. Not saying you can't do it. But that's going to take a lot of extra training and practice to get yourself to a level that you're ready for that. And it's not just about the technical skill. It's also about learning how to do routines, which is something different than just learning techniques. And your first routine can't be the routine you compete with. You'll have to learn how to do that try it out, see how much practice it takes to actually learn a routine. So it is, it is a lot of work. That's all I can say. So you're absolutely right that you have the feeling that the technical skill is a factor. It is. I can't judge how it is for you because I don't know how good you are, how far you are. Um, I don't know your situation in life either at your age. So I don't know if you have the time to put in the work that needs to be done in order to prepare yourself either to bring yourself to a level that you could compete and then to prepare for something like that. Now, the festivals is a different story altogether because that means that you will most likely have to first actually build a name and reputation in order to be booked for festivals. If you haven't played since 2000, so we're talking 20 years ago, I have to assume that your connections within the scene aren't going to be around because that changes over time. The same people that were here 20 years ago are most likely not the people organizing a lot of those events. Some cases they are, or it's the same company, but a lot of times people will change those positions like promoters and all that. So that also is going to take a lot of work and time. If you want to build up to get to a level where you can get booked for the festivals and that's going to take doing clubs first and uh, um, growing your reputation before you can get to that level. So you can start that at any age, but just be aware of how much time and effort will go into reaching the level where you can compete with Red Bull freestyle or play festivals. So that's not saying it can't be done, 
just be aware and be ready and willing to put in that type of work and know that it's even harder when you are a little bit older. This is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. All right, I'm going to take it back to audio editing for a second. This is not about audio quality, but about audio editing, and I'll let you know why. Here's the question. Could you possibly do a video on how to use a DJ battle tool vinyl or the same if the vinyl is ripped to MP3 as one long track? I know it's a stupid question. No, it's not. But as a beginner, it's confusing. A lot of my samples are all joined together. So, oh, let me just check. There's more. Okay. For example, ah, fresh one, two, three, and there's hardly any space between them. Some of the beat samples are too short or so short too. So basically I'm unsure what I'm doing and how to use these samples properly or how to mix with them. All right. So here's the thing at a certain point when battles were starting to get just more popular the DJ battles, there were people most likely DJs who started to produce special scratch records, battle vinyl. You have to imagine if you look at earlier DJ battles, DJs would have like a stack of vinyl. Some would have like beats where they would do like some backspinning or beat juggles. And a lot of times they would have vinyl just to get one sound of that to do a scratch. So with the battle vinyl, those battle tools on vinyl, DJs would actually just produce vinyl that had a lot of the different sounds that DJs like to use for scratching all together on one piece of vinyl. And like the drum samples in there, most of the times if they're very short, those drum samples aren't meant to use as a beat. They're used for actual drumming. So a lot of times you'll hear like a kick snare or kick snare kick. And those are used to do some beat cutting. So all you need is that one kick and that one snare to then do a beat cut. So that's not meant to be like a beat, like a loop. A lot of times those uh, battle records would actually also have like longer loops on there that could be used to scratch over. Um, so here's the thing. If you have it as a digital file, as an MP3, you can just take some editing software and you can cut or just select a sound, copy it, paste it to a new file and have that as a separate file. Just that one sound. If that is something that's comfortable for you, if you just want to have that ah as a sound and you have the file digitally, you can just edit it. Edit all those sounds, take each individual sound, select it, copy it into a new file or put the file into editing software and insert a silence between two sounds. You can insert a silence of like half a second, a second, 10 seconds, however long you want to. Now, a lot of times for scratch DJs, we actually prefer to have those sounds close by. Because if I'm scratching over a beat and I'm using, for instance, that ah, but right after I release the ah, I want to get into my next scratch. That only works if the next sound on that piece of vinyl comes right after that ah. If there's like a gap and I'm scratching with it 
and I release it. Ah. And then there's like a second or two before the next sound comes in. That means I would have to either use my headphones in cue to look for it, or I would have to have a bunch of different stickers on my vinyl all pointing at those different sounds. But if I do the ah, and right after the ah stops, I know that the next sound comes, I can put my hand back on the vinyl and start scratching with the next sound. So having those sounds close to each other is actually an advantage sometimes. Like a lot of times now when people are DJing digitally, they'll make their own edit and they'll have cue points for different sounds. And you'll hear them scratching. And as soon as they release it, and let's say it's the ah, ah, as soon as the ah is done, they'll hit a cue point for another sound and immediately start scratching with that other sound. It's the same thing. So with the battle record, those sounds come so fast because we want to have the next sound right after we release the last sound. So it's all about personal preference. If you don't like to work with that type of way and you just want to have one single sound, editing is your best option. And the drum sounds, those are there for the beat cuts. Now, I don't have a set on, so I can't let you hear that right now. But anytime you hear like a DJ with a with a, a, a kick and a snare, so a boom and a ka, and you hear them do like a boom, ba-ka, boom, boom, ba-ka, boom, ba-ka, they're actually just scratching that kick and snare back and forth. So that's all they need because they just want to do a quick beat cut. So they don't need an entire beat for that. Just that kick and that snare, and then they're good. So I can imagine if you've never used it in that fashion before, that you, you might be like, hey, why are those sounds coming so fast? Now you understand why. Now, this is not something I've read somewhere. That's just my explanation because it makes sense to me. I always love the fact that the next sound would come that fast. And if you have a digital lead, there's an easy way to make it exactly how you want to have it. Now, again, let me add that. And that goes back to Red Bull freestyle in the last topic. If you're working on a special routine, then sometimes it makes sense to have uh, a certain gap in there. And sometimes you see DJs do that. They might start a certain sound and release it. And because they know it's playing over a certain beat that's playing a certain tempo. And after a couple of counts, a new sound can, has to begin. You can actually edit it to make sure that a new sound comes in on exactly a right count. That's a totally different story though. For normal scratching with like a battle record, having the sounds close together for a lot of scratch DJs is actually preferred. So now you understand. And it's not a dumb question at all. STK all day, baby. Share the knowledge. Let's go. All right. So for the last topic of today, there's something that's not totally DJ related. But since I received this comment and I'm a DJ and I do believe that it is a sentiment that more people may have about us DJs. So I'm going to address it right now. I received a comment. And maybe you're not familiar with the name MF Doom. MF Doom is a legendary underground MC who passed away a while ago, but the news came out like a week, week and a half ago. You may have seen uh, DJs do like MF Doom mixes or post uh, pictures, you name it. I received a comment from someone, I'm not going to mention your name because that's not important. It's all about the sentiment behind this comment uh, towards DJs. The comment was, I can't believe you ain't mentioned MF Doom lately, though. It's kind of cold. So basically 
someone feels that since I'm a DJ, I have to publicly respond to the passing of an artist. So, and I see that more often that people now feel that they should call out other people for how they react or not react online on social media. And as DJs, I mean, maybe this has happened to you before that as a DJ, they expect you to react when an artist passes, um, which is complete, not complete nonsense, obviously, because we get to choose if and when we want to react to something or if we choose not to react. Now, for me personally, this is all about being genuine and um, handling according to my feelings. So there were a lot of people like artists and actors who passed in 2020 and I didn't post about it. In most cases, it was because I didn't really have anything special with that artist or actor. So I didn't feel that all of a sudden now I need to start posting RIP because all of a sudden you see a lot of people posting RIP for everyone. Uh, even when it's clear that they never heard of the person. And that's cool. You can do that if you want to. But in my opinion, I feel I don't really feel like doing that because I didn't really feel anything when it comes to that person. Then I don't have to. And even if I feel something and I don't want to post it, I still don't have to. Now, when it comes to MF Doom, and this was asked like a week ago as well. But in a different fashion, a fashion I can appreciate. Someone asked me, hey, are you going to do an MF Doom mix? Because there's a lot of DJs out there doing MF Doom mixes, like tribute mixes. My answer was simply, no, that's not what I'm going to do because I don't feel it's appropriate because I was never a big fan of the artist. So my condolences to his family and friends and I have MF Doom music. And he was a great MC, like a, 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 a lyrically gifted artist. But somehow it was an artist that over the years I hardly ever played. And I have some vinyl in here, but I hardly ever played MF Doom. If I come out with a mix now, to me, it's not genuine. And it's it looks more like, OK, hey, that's the name that's uh, uh, now going around. Let me quickly do a mix because it might go viral. That's what it feels like to me because I know myself and I know I wasn't a great fan. So it wouldn't make sense for me to do that. I've seen DJs do mixes and I know that they were like big fans. It fits. That's why they are there. And I didn't do it. But it's cool for someone to ask, hey, are you going to do a mix? And I'll reply. And that person thanked me for my honesty. In this case, when someone tells you like, hey, man, you ain't mentioned him, though. That's kind of cold. That implies that because I did not post anything online, that it means that I'm indifferent to it because that's not the case. It just means that I did not feel like I publicly wanted to post something. And the statement was actually double false because two days before that comment, I actually played MF Doom in my Monday uh, live stream. So I did my shout out, my RIP. And I play the track because, yes, like I said, I have some of the music. I think it's a dope artist. I just hardly ever played him. I thought it would be fitting that on my next mix show, I would play a track. That is my way of sending a salute. I don't feel that I have to post pictures. And I just wanted to say, just to sum this up real quick, 
Don't ever feel obligated to post anything that you don't feel like posting. Again, there were a lot of people who passed and there were only a couple of people last year that when I heard it, I felt something and that made me post something. And the last one I had that with was chat with Bozeman. That made me feel something like, I don't know, that, that kind of shocked me and it hit me and it hurt in a different way. Uh, respected that man as an as an actor, as a person, especially when I found out that he was sick for a long time during like interviews that I saw with him, even movies he played in. Um, I had to post like with Kobe. I had to post not because everyone's doing it, because that's what I felt the way it hit me. I just wanted to share that sometimes I get news and it hits me. But I'm in a different mindset and I don't feel like posting and then I won't. And it doesn't mean that I don't have certain feelings. Just means I kept those to myself. And that's important. We need to remember that social media, is social media, some people. So if you are a DJ and you have social media uh, accounts on your platform, you decide to only just post your DJ pictures and some videos. Kudos to you. That's perfectly fine. If you choose to go on social media and share everything you do from going to the bathroom to making a sandwich, kudos to you. That's perfectly fine as well. That's what it's all about. It's your personal choice. You can do on social what you want to do. And I don't know why in the last couple of years people feel that it's up to them to tell you what you're supposed to do on social media. Hey, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you spoken about that? So I'm not talking about just me now, just in general. I see that more often, like people were expecting certain people to speak about this and that and that. But if those people aren't like that and they don't like to share certain things, then they don't have to. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it's not totally DJ related, but then again, it is because as DJs, we are all on social media and social media is a different monster. I mean, I love the advancements we gain through technology and the internet has made the world much smaller. I mean, I I'm able to reach like people all over thanks to this. So I'm definitely a fan of social media, but there's also other things that come with it, like a certain negativity that I don't see a lot of, but also a certain feeling where people, I don't know, just feel that um, you owe them all sorts of things when that's not the case. So, that's actually where I'm going to end today's episode. This was the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. I'm uh, dropping a new episode every Sunday. And if you want to ask questions for a future episode, or if you have a topic that you would like me to talk about, you can send me an email, sdk at djtlm.com. And again, if you're looking for DJ tutorials, product reviews, video clips from the podcast, educational content, you got to check out DJTLM TV on YouTube and subscribe to that channel, activate notifications. Now, if you wanna see me mix live, you can check me out every Monday with my mix show crates on Mixcloud and Twitch. So if you don't have one of those accounts, you should definitely get one of those accounts because I'm not streaming my music on YouTube anymore. So I did on Friday by mistake, I was supposed to turn on Mixcloud, turn off YouTube, and somehow I turned off Mixcloud and kept YouTube on. So that was my bad. Uh, so people who watched me on YouTube uh, last Friday, you are lucky. Next time you have to be on Mixcloud or Twitch. Uh, you can also find me there every Wednesday on YouTube and Facebook and Twitch. 
for my Share the Knowledge Live, SDK Live. And every Sunday, so that is today, I do a live stream where I'm behind the computer just working on stuff. So in this case, today, I did a live stream where I was editing this podcast. So it's funny that I say it that way because I'm now recording my podcast and I'm about to do my live stream. But when you hear this, I already did the live stream. We're traveling through time, baby. I feel like tenant up in here. Um, so yeah, that's it. And once every two weeks, you can, you can also catch me on a Friday with my certified bangers podcast or live stream, my bad. So just check me on social to see my schedule. Uh, and if you want to know, because it's not clear, just ask me, just send me an email or reach out to me in the comment section on YouTube, uh, a DM on IG. It's all good. That's it. I'll be back with another share the knowledge next week. If you're listening to the podcast on the podcast platform and they have the option for you to rate the podcast, make sure you rate the podcast. That can really help me out as well. I'll be back next week. Peace. This is the share the knowledge podcast for DJs.